What's up, Trace Church? Uh, it's good to be with you guys today. First, just want to say welcome to any of you that are joining us uh, for the very first time. Maybe uh, you took a break from coming here for a little while. Maybe you saw our street signs. Maybe a friend invited you, if that's the case. That's awesome. Or maybe you've just been watching watching us online for a while now and you finally decided to join us in person. Whatever the case, we are honored to have you guys as guests with us today. Um, If you have any questions or if there's anything you're wondering about when it comes to Trace, uh, I would tell you just go out to the Next Steps booth after the service. They'd love to answer any questions that you might have and get you connected to what God is doing here at Trace. Also, just want to give a quick shout out to the people who are watching us online today, whether you're watching us live or maybe some other time during the week, whatever the case, we're honored that you decided to tune in and join the conversation this morning. Um, My name is Josiah, and I have the opportunity to be the student pastor here at Trace. And before we dive in, I actually want to celebrate, maybe even re-celebrate some of the things that Aaron talked about. But uh, a couple weeks ago, my wife, Jessica, who's the kids director, and I, we got up here on stage, and we announced that camps are coming this summer. They're going to be amazing. We want every kid, we want every student that is able to go to a camp to be able to go to a camp. And we were overwhelmed with the response that we got from that. We actually had uh, so many kids sign up that we ran out of spots. And so like I had to go get more spots because we didn't have enough beds and then we didn't have enough leaders and then we didn't have enough vans to transport kids. And I'm like, shoot, we're like a month out. And these are all good problems to have. But I was like, oh my goodness, we had so many kids sign up for camp. And uh, right now the number for kids and students that are going to camp is right around 135 students or kids, which is something to celebrate. Um, and I'm pumped about it. I hope you're pumped about it. Uh, but I'll tell you that because one, if your kid or your student isn't signed up for camp, you need to get them signed up as soon as possible. I promise if they miss this, they will be missing out uh, and they will regret that. And so we want to get them signed up for those things because we know there's going to be a lot of life change that happens there because we know also that 135 kids is not just a number. That's 135 different stories. That's 135 different home life, that's 135 different places, potentially even different families that get to experience life change because of what God is going to do at the camps this summer. And so I'm pumped about that, as you can see, Uh, but I'm also excited because today we are starting a brand new series called God Never Said That, and we don't usually start series this way, but I decided it'd be a good idea uh, to do this today. So we're going to play a game, and so I need your guys' participation. It's going to be fun. This game is called Swifter. Or scripture, all right? So how this is gonna work, how this is gonna work is I need everybody to participate, whether you're here in person or watching online, how this is gonna work is we're gonna throw some text up on the screen and you're gonna have to figure out, do you think this is a Taylor Swift lyric or do you think this is from the Bible? So we're gonna go ahead and get started. Here we go with the first one. Here it is. Have you ever seen anything like this? Ever seen pain like my pain? Seen what he did to me. So if you're in the room, how many of you think this is a Taylor Swift lyric? Raise your hand, make some noise. All right. How many of you guys think this is scripture? If you're online, drop it in the chat. All right. Well, you are correct, sir. It is scripture. It is not a Taylor Swift lyric, but don't worry. You're going to get more chances. Yep. Good try, guys. Uh, Here comes the next one. These walls that they put up to hold us back will fall down. The time will come for us to finally win. We'll sing hallelujah, we'll sing hallelujah. Come on guys, all right. How many of you guys think this is Taylor Swift? Got a couple. How many of you guys think this is scripture? 
Well, for those of you that guessed scripture, you are wrong, all right? This is a Taylor Swift lyric. Some of you guys are 0 and 2, okay? We gotta work on this. Don't worry, we did this with the staff and we got like none of them right, so don't feel bad. But we're gonna go to the next one. Long were the nights when my days once revolved around you. Now, this is a tricky one because you could either be God or you could be some boy that Taylor Swift broke up with. So um, who thinks this is a Taylor Swift lyric? How many of you guys think this is scripture? Sorry, guys, this is a Taylor Swift lyric as well. Come on, come on. We got it. All right, we got a couple more for you. Here we go. I gave up on life altogether. I've forgotten what the good life is like. How many of you think that's Taylor Swift? How many of you think that's scripture? Good job, guys. We finally got one right. That one's scripture. There we go. All right. So some of you, let's be honest, you're doing pretty bad. All right. You're not very good at this, but that's okay. We got one more for you. Here it goes. <laughs> I love this one. Uh, oh, oh, oh. Is that a Taylor Swift lyric or is that scripture? Who thinks it's a Taylor Swift lyric? Who thinks it's scripture? Who raised your hand for both of them? If you did, you were right, because uh, this is actually both. So good job, guys. Uh, no, but we play this game, you know, we play this game for a couple different reasons. Did anybody get them all right? I sure didn't. Um, I think you're lying if you raised your hand. Uh, but why play this game? Why play this game? One, because it's a lot of fun and it's really funny for us to figure out, you know, who the secret Taylor Swift fans are. Because whether you like it or not, I know who you are now. And yes, this is a place you can stop pretending, but like, come on, like, get yourself together. All right, but we play this game for a very specific reason. And the reason we play this game, especially today, kicking off this brand new series of God never said that is because whether we like it or not, sometimes it can be hard to discern whether culture is speaking or whether God is speaking. That sometimes we as people, we like to put words in God's mouth, don't we? That sometimes it's us as the culture, sometimes it's us as individuals, sometimes it's us as followers of Jesus, sometimes it's even us as the church, but we all have the propensity to take something that God has said and to hijack his words to fit our own agendas. And when we do this, if we're not careful, we can make God say whatever we want to. And we can paint a picture of God that is completely inaccurate. And whenever this happens, oftentimes people get hurt. The gospel gets just a little bit more fuzzy. Uh, you know, expectations get let down and people have uh, difficulty getting to Jesus because we actually begin to put obstacles up for people to get to Jesus when these kinds of things happen. And as a church, if you've been coming here for any amount of time, you know that we're not just here to exist. And we're not just here to play church on Sunday, that we are on a mission as a church to leave a trace of God's love everywhere that we go, that we wanna find people that are far from God and bring them close to God by removing every obstacle so they can get to Jesus, not by putting these obstacles up. And so over the course of this series, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a couple different passages. We're gonna take a couple different scriptures that have been used out of context at times or sometimes even abused um, at times. And we're gonna take a look at these passages to see what they really mean so that we never find ourselves in a space where we're making God say something that he never actually intended to. And before I go any further, I should probably say this and preface by saying like, we're not perfect at this either. By no means are we incredible at this. I know for a fact I've done this in my life where I've taken scripture and made it and used it to fit my own agenda. And to um, act like I haven't done that is probably ignorant and probably pretty arrogant of me as well. But chances are that you've done this too. 
But the goal of this series is not to heap a bunch of shame on you. It's not to heap a bunch of guilt on your life for times that we've used scripture out of context. Very simply, the, the goal of this series is to start with humility and recognize that maybe we don't have everything right. And then we just simply wanna share a couple of things that we've learned along the way with you, uh, to share those things with you so that once again, we don't find ourselves making God say something that he never did. But then also hopefully that we can spare some people from some unnecessary hurt, some unnecessary barriers, some unnecessary heartache. So if that sounds good to you, uh, you know, we're still going to go forward with the series even if it doesn't, but uh, that sounds good for you. We're going to go ahead and kick this thing off and we're going to start with a verse in scripture uh, that's been quoted actually so many times. It's been deemed America's favorite verse. It's gotten that title. And no, it's not John 3, 16. Uh, It's actually found in the left side of your Bibles in the Old Testament, written by a guy named Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. Maybe you've heard this verse before. This is what it says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And now my guess is you've probably heard this verse somewhere along the way. Maybe you've seen it on a decoration in somebody's house. Maybe you got a tattoo of this verse when you were young and in college. Maybe, uh, you know, you saw this on a cute little Instagram post, Jeremiah 29, 11, or maybe like, you're like me and you received a card for graduation when you were in high school or college and it had this verse on it. I know I got several. The point is this is a popular verse and rightfully so. Like, look at this thing. Who doesn't want to prosper? Who doesn't want to live a life free from harm? Who doesn't want hope for a future? Everybody wants those things. Like this has got to be the most pro-American dream verse in the Bible, right? And this verse has been used to do so much good over the years. It's been used to comfort people who are grieving when they've experienced hard loss. It's been used uh, to help young people chase after their dreams, to achieve that next big promotion, to achieve the things that they are ambitious about. This verse has been used to give people clarity and hope in some really uncertain times. This verse has done a lot of good. And maybe this morning you're reading this verse and you're hearing me say all of these things and you're thinking to yourself, so then, like, what's the big deal? Like, why is this verse part of the conversation of God never said that? Because clearly he declared it, you know, clearly he did say it. So why are we talking about this? And to answer that, I would say that while, yes, I've seen this verse do a lot of good for people, I've also seen it be very destructive. I've seen it abused and taken out of context and used in ways to hurt other people. Because I don't know about you, I don't know how your story reads, but I've been following Jesus for a very long time now. And when I look at that verse and I think about my life, my life isn't always represented well by that verse. That my life isn't always prosperous. My life hasn't always been free from harm or free from suffering, that I haven't always been super hopeful about my future. That sometimes, let's be honest, like life just sucks, doesn't it? And if you're being honest, you would probably say the same thing about your life at times as well. But if our life isn't prosperous, if you know our life isn't free from harm or suffering, if our life or our future isn't super hopeful and we read a verse like this, according to this verse, either something is wrong with us Either we don't have enough faith, we don't trust God enough to fulfill this promise, or God just simply can't be trusted to fulfill any of the promises that he makes. And I've seen this verse, like I said, abused on so many different occasions and in so many different areas of life. I've seen this verse used to manipulate people to give millions of dollars to televangelists. 
I've seen this verse used to promise health and wealth. If only you believe hard enough, if only you have enough faith in your life. I've seen people lured by a false gospel to support the greed and the lavish lifestyles of different church leaders. That according to this verse, like I said, I've seen this verse used in so many different areas. According to this verse, the reason somebody's poor or the reason someone is struggling financially is not because they made some mistakes. It's because they are a mistake. Or the reason that your mom didn't get healed from cancer, the reason that she's still suffering is because she didn't trust God enough. She didn't have enough faith that God would make good on a promise like this. Or the reason that your son or your daughter came out as gay or trans is because either you have a secret sin or they have a secret sin and God doesn't bless things that are kept in the dark. And now maybe you can start to see how this verse becomes very destructive and can do a lot of damage in people's lives. And you might be thinking there today, like, Josiah, that sounds like a bit of a leap. But I can promise you, like, I've seen this specific verse used in every single one of those scenarios. And so we have to ask the question, did God really say that? Is that really what this verse means? Or perhaps a better question to ask, is this what this verse originally meant? Because throughout this series, we're going to take a couple breaks here and there, and we want to give you practical tips to help you study Scripture. We think you should be in God's Word every single day, and we want to make it as easy as possible for you to, to you know, study this and, and get content out of it. And so this morning, I want to give you this phrase, and I would encourage you to memorize this. Uh, anytime that you're reading Scripture, I would encourage you to process through this phrase. It's this one right here, that a verse can never mean what it never meant. A verse can never mean what it never meant. That I don't know if you've thought about this before, but the documents that make up what we call the Bible, they were not written in a vacuum. They were written by real people, generally to real people, generally addressing real problems. And when we as people choose to strip portions of Scripture out of their context, we can make the Bible, and in turn, we can make God say whatever we want to. That without context, context, the content then can be manipulated to say whatever we want. And I'll give you an example of this. Um, I'm going to show you a quote here in a second. And I'm not going to tell you who said this quote because it plays into the illustration. But uh, here's the quote right here. It says this, "Uh, am I thankful for the private jet that takes me wherever I want to go? You better believe it. All right. You may read that and think, okay, Josiah, cool. Like, what does this have to do with anything? Uh, Like, maybe you think that's, you know, a professional athlete or, you know, a very successful entrepreneur or somebody that's just been very successful in business and they have their own private jet. Uh, But I'll I'll show you who actually said this. Let me give you a picture that we made. Oh, yeah, our senior pastor, Aaron Pennington, right? He said this, this phrase right here. Am I thankful for the private jet that takes me wherever I want to go? You better believe it. And if you're new here, you may be thinking to yourself, like, what did I get myself into? What kind of church is this? Like, how does he have enough money to get a private jet? And without context, context, you wouldn't understand what that, you know, quote is about. But if you were to go back and listen to the series we just got done talking about, which is Church Hurt, and on a side note, if you didn't listen to that, I would highly, highly encourage you to go back and listen to that series. Aaron and Trent did a phenomenal job uh, really just helping us understand what church is church hurt is and what church hurt isn't and how we can heal from that. And so if you haven't listened to that, I would seriously encourage you to go back and listen to that. But if you go back and listen to what Aaron said in that context, you would realize that in this moment, he's being sarcastic. He's making a joke. The very next phrase that he says is actually, no, none of that is actually true. But you wouldn't know any of that 
if you didn't know the original context. And in the same way, we do this with the Bible all of the time. We take different verses and we strip them of our context and we put them into where we're at in our lives and we make them mean something that they never meant. And so another uh, principle that I would love to give to you guys whenever you're studying the Bible is this one right here. We should always learn to look at the context before we look at the content. Always look at the context before we look at the content. And there's two different types of context that I would encourage you guys to look at whenever you're reading scripture or whenever you're looking at God's word. And the first one is historical context. And historical context is all the different things uh, that go into the historical aspect of it. So, you know, the story of scripture, you know, what's going on at the time in the world, who are the major world powers, who's in charge, all those different things bleed into what different verses mean. But the second type of context I would encourage you to look at is called literary context. This has to do with things like who's the author, like who wrote it, or the audience, who is it being written to, or things like genre, is it poetry, is it historical, is it, you know, um, narrative, all those different things play into how we understand scripture. Sometimes it's even things like grammar or just simply looking at the verses that came before and after to understand what the verse in the middle means. All of these things are important when studying scripture because at the end of the day, a verse can never mean what it never meant. And so with that in mind, let's go ahead, let's take a look at Jeremiah 29 11. Once again, looking at the context to try to understand some of the content because I think when you look at the context, the meaning of this verse actually becomes a whole lot more clear. So at the time that this is being written in Jeremiah 29, um, 11, chapter 29, whenever this is being written, uh, the Israelites, they are starting to drift away from God. They're starting to forget their relationship with God. They're committing idolatry. They're starting to worship all these other gods and losing their relationship with God. And so in this moment, God then allows them to be taken captive. He allows them to be conquered by the Babylonian empire. And so in this moment, the Jews are being exiled from Jerusalem all the way to Babylon as slaves for the Babylonians. And while they're there, they start to get anxious. They start to get worried. They start to wonder, you know, is God still for us? You know, they start to get confused, like, what should we be doing here? Is there a game plan? Should we be trying to stage a coup and overthrow this government so that we can get back to Jerusalem? What's the game plan? And so God, he sees their frustration, and so he gives them a plan, and he says this, starting in verse 4. says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And so basically, God here is going to say, settle in. It says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Once again, in this moment, God is saying, settle in, like take a breath. God is saying, you guys made a mistake and these are the consequences for your mistakes. That even though you were unfaithful to me though, I will still continue to be faithful to you. I will redeem this situation. I just need some time. And so until I redeem it, I need you to be patient because it could take a little while. I need you to settle in. God knows that we as people, and I know I'm like this as well, we as people, we start to get impatient, especially when things get hard. And we begin questioning God, like, are you still there? Do you still care about me? And so God sees all of this and he gives him a plan, but then he goes on in verse 10 and he says this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years, don't miss that, don't miss that. When 70 years, not immediately, are completed for Babylon, 
I will come to you and fulfill my good promise. And what's that good promise? Is it to make you rich? Is it to make you prosperous? Is it to make sure you have a successful, hopeful career? Is it to keep you from suffering? No, he doesn't say any of those things. He says, I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, this place being Jerusalem. And then here's our verse that we're talking about today. For I know the plans I have for you, not you, not me, but you. In Hebrew, you is plural. He's talking to the nation of Israel. For I know the plans I have for you, Israel, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. That's a beautiful promise. Then you will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And don't miss this part as well. And I will bring you back from captivity. You see, God is speaking to the fear of the Israelites in this moment. He's saying, look, what you have messed up, the mistakes that you have made, the consequences you are enduring, I will make it right again. That although you as people, being Israel, you as people were unfaithful to me, I will continue to be faithful to you. Listen, this verse is not talking about your nephew's high school graduation. This verse is not talking about your success in business or your future promotions. This verse is not talking about your retirement plan or your 401k. This verse isn't even talking to you. Like God isn't even talking to you in this moment at all. And you should be grateful for that. Because don't miss this part. He says that after 70 years, then all these things will happen. Like I can barely wait seven minutes for anything, let alone 70 years. We are incredibly impatient. You have to understand that most of the people that God is talking to would have been or would have died before they would have gotten to experience freedom. Most of the people that God is making this promise to, they would have died before they would have experienced hope again. Most of these people would have died before they would have understood what God is really saying in this moment. And this verse can never mean what it never meant. And so this verse is not about why a poor person is poor. This verse is not about why someone who is sick and has cancer, that is the reason why. Or this verse is not about why one person struggles with one sin or another. Once again, a verse can never mean what it never meant, and it never meant any of those things in the first place. And that should be good news for us, because we have a better promise. We have something better that exists. Yet so often we love to take verses like this one and strip them of, our, of its context. And when we do this, not only do people get hurt, but we actually minimize and cheapen what God is trying to say in this moment. Because God is not promising that you'll be rich if you choose to follow him. I'm sorry. Like God is not promising that you'll be free from harm or suffering if you choose to follow him. God is not even promising you a successful career and a hopeful future. No, in this moment, God is saying no matter how unfaithful we as people are, no matter the mistakes that we made, no matter the things we've done or the things that have been done to us, no matter the hurts, the habits, the hangups that we carry around on a daily basis, no matter how bad we are as people, no matter how big of a mess that we make, God will always make it right again. That God in this moment, this promise, it wasn't meant for us. The day that he said it. But I can assure you that he was thinking of you whenever he made it. Because this verse is just another hint in the Old Testament pointing us to a better hope. 
pointing us to a more long-lasting future, pointing us to something we can actually put our faith in, something we can actually put our trust in. That the hope for the future that is mentioned in Jeremiah 29, 11 is the hope we have in the present day through the man named Jesus Christ. That listen to me, you don't have to wait 70 years to experience freedom. You don't have to wait 70 years to experience hope again. You don't have to wait for the messes in your life to be made right again. Why? Because God's already done it. He's already made things right again. That some thousands of years after this promise is made, God would send his son Jesus to come down from the prosperity of heaven to this broken, messed up place we call home. And he wouldn't come as a wealthy king or a successful, powerful man. He would come as a lowly and humble, poor servant. And he would walk around with people and he would hang out with the people that nobody else wanted to. And he would heal and he would help people. And he would begin to make things right again. But eventually he'd be arrested and he'd be beaten and bloodied and bruised and he would be taken to a cross and he would die our death and he would take the pain I deserved and he would take the consequence that you deserved and he would die our death on the cross so that the world would know no matter how messed up we are as people, no matter how many times we turn our backs on God, no matter how unfaithful we are, that God is still faithful. And that is good news. That listen, God took the broken, the messy pieces of our lives and he made things right again. And when we take a verse like Jeremiah 29, 11 and we strip it of its context, we take away the power that it really has. Because at the heart of this verse is the gospel message that God's goal is not simply to bless you physically, although he may do that. No, God's goal has always been bigger than that, that he wants to bless you spiritually, that God made things right again for each and every one of us, that that which we have messed up because of sin is no longer counted against us because of Jesus. Guys, that is good news. And so this morning, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know how you walked in this door. I don't know how your story currently reads. But if it's anything like mine, maybe uh, this morning you don't know Jesus. Maybe this morning you've been waiting a long time to experience freedom. That maybe you've been so focused on doing the right thing or not doing the wrong thing that you actually missed the main thing. That there is a God in heaven that loves you and wants what is best for you and desperately wants a relationship with you. And the best part about this offer is that it's free and it's for everyone. And so this morning, maybe you want to experience that hope in your life. Maybe you want to experience that freedom in your life. If that's something you want to talk about, we would love nothing more than to have that conversation about what it looks like for you to say yes to Jesus and start living in freedom from sin. We got to do it just last service with a boy in our middle school ministry. Uh, He got to say yes to Jesus for the very first time in his life. Guys, we want to have that conversation with you. Or maybe you're like me, you've been following Jesus for a long time now. And more times than not, we don't need to be taught, we just need to be reminded that God's promise to you that he's already made things right, it still stands. That you've been running away from the hurts in your life, you've been running away from the habits in your life, you've been wrestling with some of the hangups that you have with God. 
And you just need to be reminded this morning that God has already made things right. There is nothing you need to do that you can step into that freedom whenever you want. You have freedom from sin. You have power through the Holy Spirit. And maybe this morning you just need to sit and be reminded of that truth. I love how Paul says it in Galatians 5. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again. Do not go back to the yoke of slavery of sin. Listen, you don't have to wait to experience freedom because through Jesus, God has already made things right again. That at the heart of this passage in Jeremiah 29, 11 is not about prospering or staying free from harm. It is the fact that Jesus came down from heaven because he deemed you worth it and he made things right again. And so I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna go ahead and enter into a time of response. God, we want to repent of the fact that sometimes we make you say things that you don't mean. Or that we take your words and we make them say something so that it fits our agenda. But God, when we do that, not only do we hurt people in the process, but actually we strip your words of the power they actually have. And so God, we're thankful for verses like Jeremiah 29, 11 that remind us of a man named Jesus. And God, we're grateful for the fact that we don't have to wait 70 years to experience freedom because you already did the work. And so God, this morning, if there is anyone in here, God, if there's anyone in here who wants to experience that freedom, who wants to experience hope once again in your life, God, I pray you speak to them so abundantly clear that they cannot ignore you. That God, they would have the courage to talk to somebody else about what they're thinking about and what they're feeling. God, ultimately, we just want to remove obstacles to get people to you because we know you're the only one that can help anyone, and so we want to get everyone in a relationship with you. God, we love you, and we're grateful for Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to go ahead and transition into a time of response, and we do this every single week, and there's a couple different ways this morning that we would love to invite you to respond. That as a church, we never want to be the kind of people that just come in here, we play church, uh, we listen to somebody talk, they may say some good things, and we leave the exact same person. That guys, we are after life change. And so we want to give you some moments to respond. Maybe this morning, like we said, you don't know Jesus. And you want to have a conversation about what it looks like for you to experience hope, for you to experience freedom from some of the things that are holding you captive. And if that's you, I'm gonna be right outside those doors uh, right after this service. I'd love to have that conversation with you about what that would look like for you to say yes to Jesus. Or maybe for some of you, like we talked about, you do know Jesus. And you've been following Jesus for a very long time. And every week we have this moment where we just stop everything that we're doing. We stop the agendas, we stop the calendars, we stop the things that are going through our mind and, and we take a moment and we focus on what Jesus has done for us. That like I said, more times than not, we need to be reminded, not taught. And so this morning, we wanna give you an opportunity to be reminded of what Jesus has done for you. That all around this room, you're gonna see some tables with uh, some juice and some wafers on those. And that is just a reminder of what Jesus did for each and every single one of us on the cross when he went to the cross and died for our sins. And then three days later, came back from the grave. 
So maybe this morning you need to have a moment and be reminded and ask God to enter into your heart, enter into your life and remind you what he has done for you. But then also maybe this morning, your life does not look like that verse. Maybe you're not prospering. Maybe your life isn't free from harm. Maybe you're not super hopeful about your future. And there's a lot of things going on in your life that are getting too big for you to handle. Guys, we would love to carry those burdens with you. That in the back, you're gonna find a prayer station or on the app, you can fill out a prayer request form uh, that we would love to pray for and with you about. Guys, you were not made to handle life alone and that's okay because we wanna do life together. And so I don't know how you need to respond this morning, but I would encourage you to do so. I'm gonna pray and then you can go ahead and respond. God, once again, thank you for this moment. Thank you for a small reminder amidst the busyness of life where we can stop and we can set our eyes on Jesus. That God, it is so easy for me. I'm sure it's so easy for others to lose focus on the main thing. That we get so consumed with doing the right things and not doing the wrong things that we lose sight of the main thing that you love us and you desperately want a relationship with us. And so God, in this moment, I pray that you make this a thin space that it would be free from distraction where we can just spend some time with you. God, however you want us to respond, I pray you make it clear to us. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray.